Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the U.S., the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Today, we're speaking with Priyam Choksi, a policy advisor for Maya Ginther of Columbus, Ohio. Priyam chats about the issues of maternity leave and pay disparity facing women in the United States today and gives you advice on how to become an advocate for better public policy regarding women and families. Quick side note that while Priam speaks from the perspective of a Democratic policy advisor, we are not affiliated with either political party. We're here to support all women founders all over the world, regardless of their background or political affiliation. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Priam, how are you today? I'm doing well. It's so good to be with you, Nat and Sylvie. Yeah, oh, thank you. It's so good to hear a voice. <laughs> Guys, so Priam is a good friend of mine from uh, the city where I grew up, Columbus, Ohio. And she's a policy advisor, um, and she deals with a lot of policy that has a lot to do with women and families. So we are so excited to, excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to be here. You know, it's so great to be featured on a podcast by women for women. Yes. Um, I have been able to hear a couple of the episodes and appreciate the space you both have created for women to share their stories and expertise. I know Aww. for me, podcasts can be a tool for personal and professional growth. Yeah. And I think this one serves almost like as a virtual mentorship to the listeners. I'm a big fan. Oh, thank you. That's our aim. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we just want to inspire and connect. We're all about inspire and connect, inspire and connect. Because there's so much we can learn from just hearing each other's stories, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we want to know all about you. So tell everybody about you, your background, where you're from, how you became a policy advisor, you know, what you do. Sure. So a bit about me. So my name is Priyam Choksi, and I currently reside in Columbus, Ohio. It's located in the Midwest region of the United States. I have been working in public service and municipal government for about 10 years now specifically in public policy for the city of Columbus, primarily advocating for women and families locally and working on on diverse public projects affecting low-income and vulnerable populations. Mm. So I can talk about a few of the initiatives I've worked on. Yeah, please do. Sure. So the Columbus Women's Commission, which is an advisory board to our mayor, Andrew Ginther, working to advance the economic well-being of women in our community. Mm. So they focus on issues impacting health, housing, Mm -hmm. gender equity, and workforce development for women. Yes. Another one is Kiva Columbus, which is a local hub of the international nonprofit Kiva, which is based in San Francisco, California. So Kiva Columbus helps financially excluded entrepreneurs fund their businesses by providing access to 0% interest capital and a community of 1.6 million supportive lenders. So I think this is just such a great resource for women. You know, worldwide, women have much less economic opportunity, security, and freedom. I think supporting women starting their own businesses, going to school, and investing in their health 
other communities and families is just a win for everyone. Yeah. I didn't know you were working. What is it called? The funding thing? I'm sorry. Could you say it one more time? Sure. Kiva. Kiva Columbus. Kiva Columbus. Okay. That's a new thing. You weren't working on that yeah, before. So, <laughs> Since no, I moved. Well, so Kiva, <laughs> well, this is something I actually worked on in 2016. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. So Kiva is an international nonprofit. Okay. And their whole model is, you know, how do we make sure those who specifically, I would say women or those who kind of encountered barriers in life, you know, maybe perhaps they might be refugees and are really trying to turn around their economic opportunities, it it really gives them that opportunity to do so. And, you know, without some of the high interest loans or um, initial payments you might have to make through a traditional bank. Yeah, we hear a lot about women um, trying to get funding and they don't ask for as much and they don't get awarded as much even when they do ask for it, right? So it's it's interesting. Um, I don't know all of the reasons for that. I don't know enough about it. Do you? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. You know, I I, I think there's some biases uh, by lenders. You know, when you think of the historical discrimination that just minorities in our community have faced, especially in the U.S., where I think mm-hmm. there's such a significant racial divide. Yeah, you know, there's biases from from the private sector, and I think it also it also exists in the public sector. Yeah, and it's just something that can only really be solved by education and and calling it out. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I, you and I have had many, many chats about um, families and women and the infrastructure of care and over wine (laughs) many times. (laughs) And you're one of the smartest people I know about this subject. And, you know, I've lived in two countries. I've lived in, in the U.S. most of my life and I've lived in Australia. And the infrastructure of care here for women and families is much different than in the States. Um, For instance, six months maternity leave. Um, So you have a baby. Um, I have two children that I, you know, gave birth to in the U.S. and I took two weeks the first time. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's interesting. And I tell people that here and they can't believe it. Yeah. Was that because of lack of um, maternity pay or? Yeah. If I didn't, I was an hourly employee if I didn't, you know, work it and get paid. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so, and I also was finishing up school and all of that stuff. So it's, it's quite interesting. Um, and then you've got government programs here that kind of, um, you know, they really help and they really keep families in mind. Um, so what is the situation in the States and how does it kind of differ from other countries? Yeah, I mean, I think this is such an important question, right? Especially as you say, as we talk about the infrastructure of care. So I think unpaid labor is one of the biggest issues facing women today worldwide. Yeah. Uh, I read recently in a New York Times article that if American women earned minimum wage for the unpaid work they do around the house and caring for relatives, Mm. they would have made $1.5 trillion last year. Wow. And globally. Right. And globally, women would have earned $10.9 trillion. So that to wow. me is outrageous and simply unacceptable. Yeah. Um, especially now when we think about the global pandemic, right? Like women's unpaid care work has increased significantly as a result of kids maybe attending class at home virtually yeah. and perhaps tending to like the increased needs of older people in their life. So also women who are on who are frontline health workers, yeah. you know, have a greater risk of exposure. 
to the virus. And nearly 60% of women work in the informal economy, which puts them at a greater risk of poverty. What does that mean, informal economy? Yeah, so it's a great question. It's it's essentially, you know, an economy that's not taxed or monitored by any form of government. Okay. So jobs as like domestic work, day laborers, street okay. vendors, you know, there's no man and that also means there's no mandatory or legal requirements on work conditions and wages, right? Yeah. So these exist in the US and many developing countries as well. Okay, gotcha. Um in the States, I'm sorry, before you had to explain that to me. So unpaid work, we would have earned one point what trillion? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I want to cash so that check. 1.5 trillion. <laughs> 1.5 Last trillion. Year. And unpaid right. work you're categorizing as caring for others, caring for the children, um, all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could, you know, the, the duties that are typically assigned, I would say, you know, to, for mothers yeah. or caregivers. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find yeah. that there's still not an equal split with how women and men in the US are handling childcare together? Is yeah, it still very you know, much towards I, women? Yeah. Yes. I think, you know, just I personally don't have kids of my own. You know, I think just talking with friends who have starting families, um, you know, who have had kids and the common the common uh, sentiment is yes, you know, even though now I think families are more progressive, there's conversations and how you may want to raise your kids and kind of what different uh, duties and tasks go to, to go to each other, go to each person. I think now, you know, there's a better understanding, but you still, you still, there's still a divide. And I think women often, unfortunately, have the burden of doing much of the caretaking. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of, um, about how public policy can help with this issue. Yeah. So like addressing, you know, funding and childcare and the benefits cliff, paid family leave, pay equity, access to contraception, medically accurate sex education, and like overall leadership for women and girls, right? These are strategies for public policy solutions that gets to a more equitable distribution of wealth for women and also empowers them to have more agency over their life. So I think there's great momentum and energy in these areas um, that various maybe public, private, and nonprofit organizations are leading. Yeah. It's just not enough. Yeah. I swear to God, you're the next uh, Kamala Harris. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Every time that you speak, I'm like, yes, please run for president, vice president, something. Please. <laughs> Congress. Well, she's brilliant. And I'm glad that she's our VP candidate. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I'm glad for women everywhere. I think that's so true as well. Like even you say about like the policies and stuff that are in place that can mean that a lot of the burdens fall on women, but also the way that we talk about childcare and the language we use. Like I see all the time in Facebook groups, women referring to their husbands helping with the kids, like they're doing them a favor. (laughs) And it's that language that I think perpetuates the problem as well. It's a joint shared responsibility. It's not one person helping the other with housework or with childcare. Yeah. You hear daddy daycare, like Mm. guys will post a picture, like taking their kid for a walk. They'll be like, daddy daycare. And I'm like, why is it daycare to take care of your own kid? Right. (laughs) It's not mommy daycare. (laughs) It's just mommy life. (laughs) Yeah. It's It's a responsibility as a parent. (laughs) Yeah. And we're like, we're all perpetuating this, right? Like we're all, every time we talk about it like that, we are, you know, kind of circular or giving a voice to this like 1950s attitude Mm. that has these very defined gender roles. 
Is there policy in place or like a kind of plan to change that attitude? Is that something that you can do at government level? Absolutely. So, you know, nationally, you're going to run into a lot of um, headaches, I would say. I think where you can make the most impact is in your local government and your own community. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen it here in Columbus, uh, where I live, you know, where we've really made paid equity, pay equity, for example, and even paid family leave a priority. And so we've kind of looked at our policies internally and evaluated them and say, oh, you know what, this is really not enough for yeah. women who truly want to contribute and do good work. Uh, but And so how can we make it better? And so I actually think, you know, there's a lot of room for private sector and for women who have their own businesses to kind of look into their own pay leave, pay equity policies and do an evaluation. You know, does it make sense? And does it make sense for the bottom line? I think there's often where you can build a business case yeah. um, to really achieve the things that really are the right thing to do, but mm-hmm. also, um, you know, ultimately better for you and your business. Yeah. yeah. Do you hear pushback from businesses with that? Because I think that's a really interesting point is if you're a small business, say you've got a team of four, for example, and then um, one of the team members goes on maternity leave. And if, if you had to pay for the maternity pay out of your small business earnings and then hire someone else, is that something that small business owners are need like help with? Can, is there a support in that way or, you know, financially that must be a bit of a struggle for them? Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you would think, you know, if they don't necessarily have the margins to make it work, you know, maybe they won't consider it and it, it just ultimately will result in, um, I think, an unfortunate uh, result for them and, and their employee. But mm. I think the first step is education. I mean, women can learn about you know, what the company in terms of, you know, especially if they own the company, you know, what are some areas where it could truly provide a benefit to them? And so, you know, an example might be um, maybe, well, I'll give you, yeah. So I think it might be, you know, robust, you know, if they're looking at specifically robust paid leave policies, right? Right. And they can look into um, improving employee retention, you know, help with top talent recruitment, yeah. reinforce company values, improve employee engagement, morale, and productivity. Yeah. I mean, it enhances their overall brand equity. Yeah. And I think now, especially in the U.S., and you're, if you're trying to, and it's not always the case, but trying to recruit, you know, a younger workforce, these are the things that, especially women, but people in general, you know, women and men care about and, and yeah. want to see in their employer. Yeah, I mean, the world now is set up for two earners, right? It's very, very hard for women to stay home and for couples and families to to um, survive financially in the States anymore. I think I read a, a statistic that only 4% of women are stay-at-home mothers or 4% of—it it was either 4% of the population was stay-at-home mothers or wives, stay-at-home wives, or 4% of— I'm going to have to Google it. <laughs> but it's anyway, yeah. it's a small percentage. <laughs> yeah. Because you have yeah, to work. and in the U.S., mm-hmm. right. And, and and I think it's because there there aren't those um, expansive paid leave policies. So like in the U.S., 18% of workers have access to paid leave. And only 4% of hourly workers have access to paid leave. Oh, my God. And so that to me is just, I mean, it's unacceptable. You know, yeah. when you're thinking of women who just had, you know, just delivered 
and clearly need that quality time with their new baby, but also to be able to produce and deliver on what's demanded of them at the workplace, you know, it can't be done. I don't know how you did it, Nat, in two weeks. (laughs) I was 22. (laughs) I don't know how I did a lot of things at 22. (laughs) I used to also run a lot long distances, and I no longer do that either, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting that it's not a priority in the states. It's. Um, do you have any stats about worldwide? I mean, I've I've read them, I've heard them. I don't know what's true and what isn't, but we're one of the last countries to adopt a, a you know um, compulsory maternity leave policy. Really? Like one of the last Western countries. Yeah, like modern countries. Yeah. We've got the biggest economy yeah. in the world, right? I mean, this fascinates right. me about the the states because I feel like. That kind of support is seen as like a communist value. It's yeah, it's interesting. It is <laughs> but everywhere interesting. else it's just normal. It's like, yes, of course women need to take time with their kids. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. It's well, interesting. just when you think about like the countries with robust welfare programs, you know, such as like, you know, Sweden, Denmark, mm-hmm. Norway, Canada, Finland, Netherlands, you know, they have a higher gender parity. They have mm-hmm. a social safety net that provides care for children and older people, mm-hmm. unlike the U.S. or countries even like India and China. And so there's the access to or lack of a social safety net, but mm-hmm. then there's also, you know, workplace equality. Yep. And again, countries in Europe score higher than the U.S. or yep. those in North Africa or Middle East. And actually, I did come across a study where Australia was ranked number one for women's workplace equality. You know, mm. it's interesting here. So a lot of the moms, you know, when my kids were little, I actually had a second job to pay for daycare. So my second job was a like moonlighting freelance kind of thing. And the only reason I had to work it is so I could afford the daycare to go to my, my day job. Um, because there was no leaving early. You didn't leave the office at three. Um, It was very competitive. And here, it's really seen as normal for women to go pick their kids up from school and then work from home for the rest of the day. Mm. It's it's very normal. And companies are very... you know, maybe it's changing in the U.S. You know, my two older children are are older now, but um, you know, they it, it's so much more accepted that you will have more work life balance as a mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I just read an article that said that uh, nearly two thirds of American moms these days are the breadwinners of the family, so the financial impact that you'd have to take with no paid maternity leave or very little paid maternity leave? Like most companies, what do they give you? Six weeks? Is it six weeks in the States? Um, tops. Tops. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's it's really rare. You do have a, more progressive companies like Facebook is one of them where mm. I think mothers, you know, can take up to six months and put their paternity leave is three months, you know, which is That's awesome. unheard of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Which is standard here in Australia. Like that's it's the wow. It's the law. You have to pay mm. <laughs> three. That's, it's twelve weeks. Wonderful that they have to pay, and then they have uh, an additional three months that I think the government subsidizes or something. I'm not quite sure how it works. Yeah, but. I'm just so intrigued to hear what the arguments are against this in the states. Like I've heard that some people think you know Scandinavian countries they only have like a population of five million people, for example. Um, so therefore they can afford to have welfare like Mm. they do. Mm. Is that something that you come up against or what are the arguments that you hear 
against, against these it. kind of things yeah and initiatives yeah and that's a that's a great question you know i think a lot of them is around budget Mm. And so when we think about prioritizing our, you know, from municipal budget to to county to state to federal, you know, a lot of these budget allocations, unfortunately, don't go towards child care. And, you know, I'll give you an example here in the U.S. where there's a national bill. And Nat, maybe you've heard of this. You know, there's the bill that the Democrats put forth, which is the HEROES Act which includes significant dollars for childcare, especially in light of this global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then there's the opposing bill from the Republicans called the HEALS Act, which has absolutely zero dollars for mm-hmm. childcare. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, you know, unfortunately, I think some of it's party politics. I think some of it's just not prioritizing, um, you know, the need for r- residents who truly are facing some of these economic challenges mm-hmm. because it's, simply not known to those who make those decisions. Gotcha. Yeah. And and I think you're right, Nat. You touched on something earlier. You know, I think there's this culture, you know, just the U.S. being a capitalist society, you know, there's societal values that really don't uh, don't balance work and life. You yeah. know, typically right. it's it, especially those who, you know, even own their own business. It's like, sometimes there's more pressure and you're yeah. working longer hours yeah. and throughout the day rather than within a limited time frame, like a nine to five schedule. You yeah. know, I think this mindset of grinding away, working to achieve more, make more money yeah. is a result of being a capitalist country. And, and unfortunately that lifestyle is just very challenging for women as primary caretakers of their families. And even yeah. more so for African-American and Latinx women here in the U.S. Now, how is that? So how, how are um, women of color affected differently in the U.S.? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, I don't have to tell the both of you or to the audience, there's been a significant racial divide that exists in America since its founding. And um, because of that, you know, especially um, you might have seen some of the civil unrest that's been manifested in protests and advocacy for African-Americans in our communities, right, across the country, right, because they've been victims of racial health disparities, like infant mortality, Mm -hmm. and also socioeconomic inequities, like safety, you know, you think about police brutality, stable and affordable housing and the wage gap. Um, And so, and and typically African-American women are at the front lines. So they're even more vulnerable um, to some of those barriers, um, especially given COVID-19, you know, it almost brings like sharper focus and how the impacts of crises disproportionately affect women and particularly women of color. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it's, it's really hard to watch, um, as an American living abroad, it's been really hard to watch all of this. Um, but also in a weird way, hopeful, because maybe this is what needs to happen to bring the change mm-hmm. that we need to see um, and these disparities. Maybe, you know, we need to have this protesting. We need to have this come to the surface. Obviously, we never want to see anyone get hurt, and it's absolutely devastating. But the fact that people are, um, you know, kind of taking action now, and it's at, you know, the forefront of, I don't know, you can tell me your your perspective on that? Do you think that we're on the edge of some real social change? You know, I can hope. Um, Unfortunately, (laughs) I think we always see history repeating itself. You know, Mm -hmm. I have some newfound hope in uh, the Democrat 
president, presidential and vice president uh, candidates. And then, you know, I will say the community that I live in is very progressive. We may be in a very conservative state, uh, but we're kind of our own progressive bubble, Mm, (laughs) for better or for worse. Yes. And so, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think there's, I think there's good work being done. I think there's a lot of, you know, I think for any advocacy work, it's just um, putting a voice behind the issues that you truly care about and believe in. Yeah. And so I think a lot of, especially now with social media and with the upcoming election, I think there are a lot of voices out there yeah. that are saying that, you know, we need a better infrastructure of care for our families and for the women who take care of those families. Yeah. Yeah. And for people of color, you know, we should have we should be aware of the fact that it has been harder for them. The pay the gender pay gaps are even bigger for African American women than they are, you know, on average than they are for white women. Mm. So there's you know. also the kind of this is an immediate issue that affects women right now, but there's also the consideration of how this looks in the future. If women can't afford to take time off is this going to contribute to population decline? Mm. And then how does that look for the US and, and countries all around the world? I know that's something that Japan is struggling with right now. Or even worse, are kids not going the you know, kids not going to get the support that they need? Mm-hmm. You know, and then that's it becomes this self-perpetuating cycle of like the mom can't afford to spend the time with her kids that she needs to, and then the kids suffer and then yeah. they aren't where they need to be in their lives as they grow up. Priam, what can we do? <laughs> How can we move this forward? How can we support this cause? What can we yeah, do? Yeah, let's to pick get it apart piece by piece. So the the family infrastructure part. So if you want to advocate, if you're a woman in the US and you want to advocate for better maternity leave policies or if you want to advocate for better, you know, public policy or governmental policy that um, would support women, for instance, help them with daycare, or et cetera, et cetera. What can you do? What can you do about that issue? Sure. I think, you know, as I mentioned before, the first step is absolutely education. I think, um, you know, women can learn about what opportunities exist in their workplaces for childcare support, paid leave, pay equity, and leadership opportunities. I think that data gathering phase is critical. You know, mm-hmm. once you once you know the date, the data, you know, um, you know what's truly impacting women in your community. It can be presented to others that they work, you know, that they work with in their workplace. Um, you know, to rally support for the causes they believe in, maybe in their neighborhood, in their community, within their friend circles, and then have have then start having the conversation. You know, with leadership, whether it be advocating on policies, maybe such as um, local city ordinances or state bills out there that really address um, some of the issues facing women today, or even, you know, having a conversation with your company's leadership about, you know, I really noticed that there's something wrong here and we need to have a conversation. I mean, I think there's no way to do advocacy, right? Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's, sure, there may be an effective communication style and strategy, but ultimately, it means giving voice to an issue you believe in, mm-hmm. and especially if it's doing harm to people. Yeah. You know, oftentimes that drive comes from within or personally knowing or observing someone impacted by inequities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also women's issues aren't solely about women. You know, they impact everyone in her family unit and her community. Yeah. And so just seeing an eye towards the future uh, when it comes to, you know, talking to those policymakers or leadership within your company to say, hey, you know, this is really affecting the entire community. 
in our local economy. Yeah. So do you think, you know, things like writing letters to your local politicians, like, do you think all of that stuff works? Like, how does that, how does that impact public policy as a whole? Like, what big steps could they take? Like, if, you know, we've got a lot of, you know, badass women out there who listen to this podcast, who run companies, you know, they've started nonprofits, they've, you know, they've, they can do a lot of things. So if they want to take action, like big action, what can they do? Sure. So that's one way, you know, writing letters to your congressman or to your local representative, um, whether it's a city council member, your mayor, or your state legislator, you know, there, there are definitely ways to advocate um, in the, those appropriate spaces. So if there's a hearing on a bill that you feel very passionately about, you, know, you can see when the public hearing is and sign up to speak on it. Mm. Um, you know, it's called wow. proponent testimony. So, you know, it's, there's great opportunity um, when it comes to policymaking. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's great opportunity within the private sector. Okay. So I'm a big advocate of public-private partnerships, especially when it comes to tackle some of these big, hairy, like social economic problems, right? Mm, I I do it for a living. Mm -hmm. I lead an initiative all about reducing infant mortality, so babies dying under the age of one Mm -hmm. in our community. And I think it's something that, you know, we must work um, with the public-private nonprofit sectors. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as um, as evidence in my work in Columbus, I think you know there's always going to be some case you can make for an interested party that wants to um, partner or make a change. Um, you know, I really think in order to be innovative and to implement innovative ideas, you need Mm -hmm. capital. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, when you partner with some of those private sector partners, you have an opportunity to think big Mm -hmm. and perhaps um, stretch some of the goals around um, some of these big problems that you, you might've not, you know, really initially known how to handle. Do you, so with the gender pay gap, so other issue mm-hmm. that affects women, um, right. you know, women leaders, obviously, and women business owners, the first thing that they can do is make sure that the gender pay gap doesn't exist within their companies, you know, and pay is equitable. Right. And I'm sure that's what, you know, a lot of the first step that most women take. But if they want to advocate, adv- excuse me, if they want to advocate for reducing the gender pay gap or eliminating the pay gender pay gap? Is there an organization or any um, thing that they could either donate to or get involved with? Yeah. And there's great national organizations. I'm actually blanking on some of the names right now, but I would look into your local, um, for example, like women's fund organizations. We have a women's fund of central Ohio and they're such a wonderful nonprofit that partners with our city of Columbus, Columbus women's commission. And they often work hand in hand to help companies or help employers uh, make that shift and and really kind of evaluate and look at okay you know what what some of the what are some of the gaps and mm-hmm. how can you work to make it better and so one thing we did recently here in Columbus is we had a pay equity pledge and there are over a hundred. 
companies who've signed on this pledge. And it's, you know, general language around making the commitment that I'm going to look into to see if we have the problem. Mm-hmm. I'm going to identify strategies and then ultimately try and solve the problem. And so there are things like that where I think, you know, a simple conversation um, with leadership can be very helpful. I think if you're in a position of management or leadership, you know, that's where you can really have a voice um, in terms of your company's policies or even in your community because maybe you have connections that that others may not. Yeah, yeah. And using, we've talked a lot about networking. We've We've talked a lot about um, using your connections and building those connections. You might not personally, as a small business owner, have the power to, like, you You can pay your employees equally and make sure that you're paying your freelancers and everything equally, but you might not have the power to affect, um, you know, pay disparity for a large number of people, but that doesn't mean that you're not, you don't sit on a board or go to an industry event or whatever with someone who can. So just having those conversations that can do so much for so many people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just one last thing. Do you think there are any countries um, that the U.S. and can learn from? Uh, like, is there any uh, country out there that you think really supports women and families with maternity leave, with pay gap, with child care, all of that stuff? Yeah, I think some of the countries I mentioned earlier, so like Sweden and Denmark and the Netherlands, for example, and Finland is a big one, I think, mm-hmm. have really progressive um, welfare programs. And and when we talk about the infrastructure of care, you know, um, subsidies that go to women who've just delivered, you know, they, they go home with, um, I think they call them like baby boxes. Aww. And so these boxes are full of, they can serve as a crib for the infant, but they're also oh, full, wow. full of all sorts of resources that you may need for a new infant in your home. Yeah. And there's just programs like that where, you know, it's it's really, it's taking care of the woman as a whole, um, mm. thinking of her family. Mm. And I think that paid leave, I mean, that is so critical yeah. to making sure that that women in that family kind of, you know, have the time they need to get acclimated um, to this new big event that just happened in their life yeah. and can return to work um, not so overwhelmed mm-hmm. and yeah. without that fear or pressure that they need to return sooner um, because ultimately that's going to that's gonna affect their, their work product. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Wow. I, I mean, leave it to them to make it not only a good, like, starter box for being a parent, but also be eco-friendly and reusable. Like, exactly. <laughs> of course right. it is. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking about these issues with us, Priam, and giving, um, you know, our badass women leaders out there, you know, tips on how they can get evol- involved in advocating for a better, better policy in the U.S. for women. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate it. It's been great to have you on. Thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate you both. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Have a good one. Chat soon. Okay. Talk soon. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by invoice to go We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere at any location around the globe. And we're helping close the gender-based pay gap because the current US gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%. Listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast will get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just use the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.